Welcome to the Voice Culture Podcast with your hosts, Brian Lee and Justin Peterson. Hey, Justin, how's it going? I'm good. How are you? Pretty darn good. It's been a while. I know. We made it to December. Yeah, yeah. I, I have to ask, did you have a good time uh, interviewing Eden Castile? Oh, it was terrific. Yeah, isn't she awesome? It, 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 yeah. was, it was fun and amazingly educational. I mean, yeah. I really learned a lot. And She's a rock star. Yeah, yeah. Much, she, much respect. Yeah. Yeah. She, you know, she, any, what was your biggest takeaway, I think, from it? Uh, that, gosh, there's, there's, um, that there's a, a lot of creative outlets possible um, in this whole streaming thing that have really come to the people. I mean, you don't, most people have good enough equipment to uh, have any kind of online presence they want, whether they want to do yeah. live streams, whether they want to make uh, instructional videos, whether they want to do, whether they want to do uh, interviews and capture them. I mean, everyone can do that now. Yes. And, and then the further step, of course, was the technology of being able to jam with people at a distance. Right. Uh, that, that was really neat. Um, right. I'm not ready for that yet, but I'm, <laughs> I am ready to explore it because she yeah. made it seem less scary. It was yeah, really cool. Yeah. She's a master of making the uh, complicated rather uh, approachable and accessible. Yeah. Yeah. And fun. I right. can see how she provides, you know, that's a great service she's providing. So yeah, completely. Well, yeah. And, not, and also she's an incredible educator. So yeah, yeah. She's just, I mean, much, you know, she's my idol. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I just, am, I just think she's the bee's knees. Yeah. She's just awesome. And so, you yeah, back yeah. from your brother's wedding. Yes. Right? Went to my brother's wedding. It was a good time, you know, uh, October wedding, fall wedding, um, on the farm where we grew up. Uh, as children, nice, and it was very emotional. And it's funny, you know. You um, maybe it's a f- different when you're older. My brother is forty. I'm forty four, and uh, there's more maturity under the uh, under our belts. And it's really interesting to be adults and to have a marriage. And obviously, well, my mother's no longer living, so it's interesting to hold two emotions at the same time: the emotion of sadness and the emotion of happiness at the same time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it's uh, it's um, I, I think I came back from that experience thinking, oh, my God, I've, I've, I think I've felt every human emotion. <laughs> I, <laughs> I was like, yeah, I had them yeah. all. I was like happy, sad, nervous, excited. Um, yeah. It, it just was a lot of emotions. And it was it was a beautiful experience. And I think in the pandemic, the sort of disconnection that we've all felt from mm. being sequestered wherever we are, um, it was a wonderful reconnecting to people. It has heightened our get-togethers, hasn't it? Uh, Truly. I yeah. mean, the appreciation that I have to be with people now and oh, to yeah. tell them I love them. I mean, I sat with my aunt, my dad's sister, who I, you know, I, I, I of course I love her, but I just sat there and held her hand and I said, I just love you so much. And it, it's been a wonderful reconnecting to to do that. So I'm in, in, if there's anything positive about the pandemic for me, it's the fact that I have become more connected and closer to family than I was actually before the pandemic. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I know that hasn't been always the case. I know there's a lot of people who've been like, I'm divorcing my spouse. You know, it's like, <laughs> right. it's right. like I'm out of here. Get these children um, back in school now. I know. I was like, get these. <laughs> oh, I just, you know, I had a, conver- I was having a convo with our dear friend, Michelle Marquardt DeVoe. And, um, 
you know, she was talking about moms and how moms are just really in the in the in the soup with all oh, of this. You yeah, know, these yeah. got a feel for all of our mom teachers out there, yeah, who are trying to balance voice studios and parental duties and and being a spouse, and it's got to be a lot for moms. So, moms, we we respect you and admire you, and keep on keeping on, moms. Oh yeah, it's tough tough going. Yeah, but uh, no, it's been great. The fall was great, and we're obviously gearing up for the end of the year. So here we go. Yeah, down into uh, twenty twenty two. Let's do it. I guess I'm ready. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to happen whether we want it to or not. Yeah, yeah. So we are going to experience it, it. So we might as well exactly just be embrace active. it. Yes. yes, exactly. As Michelle says, "Embrace the suck." Right. <laughs> <laughs> Right. <laughs> Just embrace it. So, yeah. But, uh, well, so I, was... I thought, go ahead. For today, I thought we were going to, you know, just kind of dive into dogma. Dogma. And, and, okay. and, as we've, and as we have experienced it as teachers and mm-hmm. as educators, and what is it and how does it affect us? And is there a good thing about dogma or is it always kind of a something to watch out for? Yeah. So, I guess yeah. there's, you know, when we think of dogma, I think we obviously think about church, right? Like religious dogma. Sure. Like Catholicism or, mm-hmm. you know, Eastern Christianity. Um, but I guess dogmatic thinking would be, in my definition, I would just describe it as rigid thinking, right? Someone who's very rigid and very sort of rules oriented when it comes to um, something, some subject matter. Uh, yeah. Someone who's... Um, sort of proffering things and they shouldn't be questioned or they shouldn't I was, be doubted. Ref- I refreshed my my uh, sort of dictionary definition on Google today mm-hmm. and it says a principle or set of principles laid down by an authority as incontrovertibly true. And mm. um, that so they didn't mention religion, but several other dic- dictionary, di- the dictionary definitions. Hello. <laughs> uh, <laughs> many definitions do uh, in uh, talk about it in the context of religion because mm-hmm. um in some religions um like uh the word dogma isn't all bad so right i was saying to uh you before we started recording about this one temp job i had back in the gosh it would have been early 90s um at uh in northeast washington i was at the u.s catholic conference on a temp assignment in the copyright office and it was where people would uh, write for permission to quote from uh, Catholic religious materials, you mm. know, printed materials. And so they would ask for permission, and um, they would keep track of where things were going to be appearing in print, make sure they were quoted correctly and all that. And, mm. and there I ran into the word dogma uh, used in a non-pejorative sense within mm. that organization because they would divide the knowledge of the church into different segments, and dogma was a type of church knowledge. There was dogma, there was doctrine, mm. there were there were a couple other categories, and I don't remember the distinctions. <laughs> uh-huh. But that was wild to, like, you know, like be in an office that actually is controlling the dogma. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah. that was interesting. Well, because it ultimately does it it, 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 it hinges on an authority figure, right? It, it, who, yeah, I mean, right. It's right. it's stuff laid down by an authority mm-hmm. figure. So. Right. Anywho, how does that manifest in the voice world, in the singing world? Oh, my. Well, I, you know, I think one of the things that's very endemic in our profession has been what we could consider the cult of personality. Right? Yeah, yeah. In our, 
that that the, the the method or the idea of a person's vocal success is contingent upon connection to a particular person, right? A particular uh, character in history. And then know? with that person, when they're endowed with this 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 surrendered authority, you know, right. to them, then their word becomes the incontrovertibly true stuff, right? Right. Yeah. And it can't be questioned. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a closed system, right? Um, I think there is... Okay, so here's my take on this. I think there is some solace in dogma for people because people who embrace dogma don't have to think. Yeah, yeah, it relieves it, you of It some... relieves you of, the, of uh, anal- analysis. It relieves mm-hmm. you of, of protracted uh, time researching and learning on your own. You can just take on what someone else says mm-hmm. and run with it. Yeah. And just be like, okay, it's all been answered here, and whew, isn't yeah. this great? And yeah. anytime any challenge to the system would come, then the person would always say, well, so-and-so said, or Madam so-and-so, or Mr. so-and-so, or Senior Baldini said blah, 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 mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So then it's an appeal to authority, right? It sort yeah. of then becomes this fallacy of an appeal to authority. Um, I think it's harder to be a free thinker, especially today, in today's world mm-hmm. than it is to be dogmatic um, I, because of the social pressure and the social conformity required of us in yeah. our culture yeah. to conform. And it's uh, so easy to find and fall into uh, a group that becomes the echo chamber absolutely. for the dogma. Absolutely. Because dogma and sociocentrism to me are, can be one and the same. You know, mm-hmm. and yeah. sociocentrism for people who don't know what that is, it's that term that just means a group that seeks its own, benefit to the exclusion of other people so it only wants its own needs met and is is not the healthy uh <laughs> it's what we would call group think right people mm-hmm. who are in a group of people and everyone sort of thinks the same thing um either through coercion or through some sort of social pressure yeah um and in pedagogy does that happen sure enough uh just always just almost. every day <laughs> almost happens I mean, what is it what is it it happens but only 100 percent of the time <laughs> yeah 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 right and byron so, katie yeah right exactly so <laughs> thank you byron katie no yeah but so we are we can be very dogmatic as teachers and i think it's what is it that makes us dogmatic i think it's the fear of being exposed right mm. as not knowing right okay the, yeah the, so you t- from the teacher's point of view yes yes, yes. yes. so it's like, i was well, also I was thinking about the students, like like oh. the, the from the students' point of view, like in college in conservatory, yes. the um, you know, as a student, I was always so aware of how people would be like, my teacher says, our teacher says, yes. in our studio yes. we do this, you yes. know, uh, but the, yeah, from the teacher's point of view, yeah, yeah, it's a, I, a huge fear of. You know, I, I must be right at all times. I have to be right. I'm the authority, so therefore yeah. I must be correct. Yeah. Um, teaching voice is difficult. And I think I don't yes. think we tell ourselves that enough. Um, <laughs> yes. it's, it's, it's challenging because you're yeah. not just working with a voice. You're working with a human being. Yeah. Uh, with all of their foibles and frailties and all, all the stuff they come along with. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think dogma, dogma can be, like I said, a safety a safe place to land because it sort of feels like it has all the answers, right? Right. It's like, oh, here, it's just answered. We'll just do this, you know? And this is what, how many, how many stories have you and I heard about people who've gone to dogmatic teachers who will never mistrust the dogma? It must be the student who's doing something wrong. Yeah. Right? The dogma is never to be questioned. The student must be responsible for their own failings. 
well, it's your fault you're not doing X, Y, or Z, you know. And sad um, to say, at a certain level, it becomes a self-feeding cycle. Like, for example, at a conservatory um, that is having people clawing and fighting to get into it, uh, the students are somewhat disposable. Mm. Uh, you know, if, if, if a student doesn't work out, it has to be oh, the student's yeah. fault. Or it can be, you know, it can't be the teacher's fault because the teacher uh, can replace that student with someone who will succeed at making the teacher look good. Right. Well, um, and also to the uh, the ability to choose one's own guinea pigs leads yeah. to different types of results right. in an experiment. Right, right. Right. So, I mean, colleges have their choice. Yeah. Really, they have their choice. Yeah. They can pick whom they want, and the teachers will take on whomever, you know, they want in their studio. So, you know, it's, it's, that, it's that conundrum of polishers and builders, right? The, the, who, who's polishing and who's building? And, are yeah. those, and I don't think those are the same thing. No. Um, the other thing about dogma is that it can lead to, um, obviously it leads to coteries, right? And like you were saying, like our group, it leads to a mm-hmm. sort of a sociocentric sort of view of pedagogy. Yeah. It also, again, it makes the student feel as if they can't, when they can't grasp one of the dogmatic tenets, that they are somehow at fault. That yeah. Something is inherently wrong with them. So I feel yeah. like we're maybe circling this, circling this back on here. But uh, mm-hmm. um, rigid thinking, right? Rigidity of thinking, rigidity mm-hmm. of approach to students. I feel like a lot of this is going away, though, in terms of like how people are a little bit more flexible. I think in the classical tradition of old, it, it, there, there was much more dogmatism than there perhaps is today, maybe, or maybe it's just metamorphosized into a different <laughs> shape. Yeah. But, I think uh, there, there is, yeah, I think overall it has loosened up somewhat because it, for people who do truly seek information, access to information is definitely easier now if people choose to find, you know, to cross-reference and, right. and get per, other perspectives and, and really do research and really search. Um, it's possible to recognize that you're in a uh, dogmatic uh, situation uh, sooner, I think. Um, but, the, you know, the other part of it is that cult of personality thing that you brought up before. I mean, mm-hmm. if people are really sold on a person yes. uh, as, as a leader, um, it's amazing what they will claim to believe. Yes, um, I say claim because I don't know. Sometimes it can turn on a dime if a if a person gets discredited or if a person gets uh, uh, disillusioned or whatever. Sometimes someone will wake up uh, and change. Um, but I think the the teaching of old was extremely dogmatic. I mean, yes. when you talk about your only link to the world of teaching was as a student you might have one, you know one main teacher for 10 years mm-hmm. and you may not get exposed to others and right. that teacher may not be exposed to others and so the whole thing can become so entrenched yes uh in the days before all this communication and and uh where it was well i want to say less of a buyer's market mm-hmm. for knowledge mm-hmm. but the 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 problem is this great availability of knowledge, this incredible uh, resources available to people to try to learn different things and different perspectives has also led to a laziness where they don't go and get it. 
Yes. They still don't go get it, even though yes. it's available. Yes. That's an interesting thing. Inter- yes, because information has never been more readily available, and yet our, our, our inability to interface with it has never been lower. Yeah, I don't you know? feel like we're smarter necessarily. We may no. be exposed to more, but I don't see great thinking happening any more than it ever did. Right. Yeah. Well, and, and what's interesting is that, you know, we're talking about older teachers, you know, thinking about Witherspoon, who went all over Europe and, and, and was a, a, basically an unwitting participant in lots of really bad pedagogy. Mm-hmm. And, you mm-hmm. know, teachers that would have him run around the room or, you know, stand in an S or, you know, doing all kinds of wackadoo stuff. Yeah. Um, he, I think it, it, was, it must have just been, you know, bedlam. In terms of its of, of what teachers were doing, mm-hmm. uh, especially in the 19th century, as everything just went kind of frayed off into a million directions with science then entering the field, and right. everybody had their own thing. And they I got mean, a whiff of the word science, and then started off oh the my. races. It yeah, got yeah. strange. Yeah, and then you had people who were scientific, and then you had people who were what more idiosyncratic, more personality based teachers, uh, and it was just a giant, you know. Tower of Babel, basically, mm-hmm. um, and it was interesting that all those people kept trying to find those strains to the Italian ideas, right? They kept trying to figure out, well, what's the Italian ideas, you know, to try to mm-hmm. reconnect to those earlier mm-hmm. pedagogues, um, and that the training of the Italian was was considered to be the the best that you could get. Yeah. Um, so, you know, but then those Italian teachers were always said to have no method, right? So you read about the accounts mm-hmm. of these uh, people who studied with the Italians, and they said, well, the Italians had no method. There was no method to the Italian teaching um, in the way that, you know, people thought about it. It was very, you know, extemporaneous. It was very um, improvisatory yeah. in the moment, yeah. which is, I think, what good teaching of today is in a way. I mean, it's it's improvisatory on a functional basis, we hope. Mm-hmm. Um Mm-hmm. But um, it's interesting to 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 see the egotism right of the 19th century that came about as as a person's pedagogy became associated with themselves, all of the inherent mental illness of egotism that would come along with that. Yeah, it, to maintain that the yeah. the idea of holding a uh, a power over people's lives. Well, we have it in the form of Svengali, right? Yeah. If you've ever read that that book Trilby, uh, I think it's by Du Maurier. Where he, you know, he's basically hypnotizing this woman to sing better, <laughs> you know. Uh-huh. And he's like, it's like something like Rasputin, right? Where he was literally hypnotizing this poor Trilby girl to sing and become a great opera star. Uh, but that's kind of at, at its worst. That's what voice teaching sort of was, you know. He was mm-hmm. so he was a hypnotist, you know. Um, and if anybody ever wants a really funny story, I mean, a really interest, intriguing story, just read the story of, of I think it's Daphne du Maurier, du Maurier who wrote uh, Trilby. And Trilby is the story about this woman who became a singer because she was hypnotized by Sven Gali. Wow. And uh, it's a very interesting voice teacher <laughs> book. <laughs> but that power of, of dogmatism and I am the way. Um, you know, Uta Hagen, of course, we have talked about her, but she always talked about how the, the most dangerous room in the, in the, the most dangerous chair in the room is the teacher's chair hmm. because it can lead to feelings of self-importance and coteries and groupthink and one has to be very very careful and she always said you know i want to treat my students as if they are my future colleagues which i think is a really great approach to avoiding dogmatism yeah and another would you have what are your ideas about avoiding dogmatism do you have ideas about it i have some but i want to see what you have to say well to me it seems like uh what is required in the training of teachers 
is is a an appeal to curiosity. Mm-hmm. Um, if you stay curious and you convey that curiosity to the student, um, the biggest compliment I would hope for from a student is, oh, I never thought of trying that. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that was interesting. That was an that was a that was an interesting way to get a result, and. I th- I think if if I think when when the curiosity goes when you say oh god I'm done you know I'm just gonna I, th- this is this is what I believe and this is the way it is and like it or leave it, um, th- that's like the opposite of curiosity I don't know I I don't know if the opposite of dogma is curiosity, uh, but the opposite maybe the opposite of dogma would be openness and curiosity mm. is certainly a part of that or even doubt. Well, and and yes, and doubt, and you, yeah, you don't have to be like incredibly sunny positive mm. <laughs> about, mm. about it. Yeah, I mean, like you know, people who doubt everything and question everything can seem challenging. They can seem annoying. Mm-hmm. They can seem negative, but right. yet they're going to be the learners, right? Oh, those are the people who push the boundaries. Yeah, the questioners. It's never the people who are assured of something. It's always the questioners. Yeah, right? yeah. And I mean, you look at Galileo. I mean, he didn't have a great time with the Catholic Church, right, when he was mm-hmm. alive, because he was asking questions, and they didn't like that too much. So yeah, you know, yeah. he had to kind of, he had to kind of get shut down. I think you're right. I think the op- to me the opposite of dogma is doubt, um, because dogma is such a system that's built upon assurance and security of belief, and doubt mm-hmm. is not that. Um, doubt mm-hmm. has the ability to has the question in it or the skepticism in it. Well, what's that saying you have about like in, in your best frame of mind, you approach it something as if uh, it everything could be true or everything could yes. be false. Yes, yes, yeah. Like, I used to what? talk, yeah, pedagogical agnosticism. Yeah, where yeah. Where I, yeah. I was like, you know, all of this could be true or all of this could be actually be horse. Yeah, when presented with you know. with new ideas. Yes, 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 yes. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I think when you when you can wipe the slate clean and say. Well, like, for example, years for years and years, I thought dogmatism around breathing, right? Mm -hmm. Now, let's just take one example. Okay. Dogmatism around the act of taking breath, or what do we do for breathing for singing? Mm -hmm. There have been tomes published (laughs) about that one particular subject. Yep. Uh, And people get very dogmatic about breathing in their teaching. Yep. Uh, You know, it must be this, it's got to be that. Um, It wasn't until I had vocal problems that I actually said to myself, what if it's not true? What if all of that stuff that I was told in, in, in part of my education is actually not true? What would it be like to live in an, and operate in a system where I didn't believe that? Mm-hmm. And that was very interesting to, to think about as a thought experiment. Yeah. Because maybe you'll open yourself up to something different. Right. What if I don't believe that anymore, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, very helpful for me along my journey. Yeah. You know, anytime there's dogmatism about anything in the, in the, in the uh, system... I get, you know, itchy. You just said the word I was going to, I was going to bring up right now, which is whenever I hear someone talking about, oh, I went to learn her system of, or I like, or when I'm teaching my system of, and fill Mm. in the blank, breathing, uh, articulation, high notes, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever it is. Yeah, support Mm -hmm. my system. And when, whenever anyone has a system, (laughs) look out. I mean, right. It's okay. Systems are okay. <laughs> I, you know what I do? I think here's how I do them. I think of them as models. That's how I've explained them to students. Mm-hmm. It's like if we have a model of of the t- of a particular idea, 
we may have we may come at the same issue with very 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 different models, mm-hmm. but they are an attempt to rep- represent something as an idea, a system mm-hmm. in which we wish to represent an idea. Mm-hmm. It is not the only model of mm-hmm. something, just like one model of a ship is not the only model of that ship. Uh, there are many ways of, of making a model of a ship that's not one way. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, it has helped me, I think, with my students, because when I talk to them in certain terms, I can, well, here's the other thing I was going to say about dogma. A, a way to get over dogma is to, to become a student of, of comparative pedagogy. Oh, yeah. Because if you have, you know, if you've read, like you said, the Talmudic, if you've had these Talmudic, you know, com- conversations about many different types of texts on singing, mm-hmm. and you can sort of connect the dots, you can see where someone is saying, you know, if someone says, oh, this is my system of X, Y, Z, and I'm like, no, it's not, Bubba. You know, mm-hmm. this has been around since 1642. You know, you, you're less susceptible to dogma if you have a broader education of, of the vocal literature. You're less mm-hmm. susceptible to being taken in in, in a certain way. You, the, the pity is that the students aren't, right? I mean, it's a, it's, I've often mm-hmm. described it as such a shame that a student would have to, a student, well, let's say, here's an example. I want to get the plumbing in my house fixed. Why should I have to go out and get a doctorate in plumbing to know if the plumber is doing their job correctly? Yeah. I shouldn't have to do that. I should be able to trust that the person who's coming to fix my pipes knows what they're doing. But that's yeah. not the case in voice pedagogy. So it's a shame that students, you know, the burden almost is on the student to be the educated person in the room to go, no, or to have the defenses enough to say that, no, that doesn't work for me, or I don't like that, or yeah, that's not, you know, that isn't my experience of my body or whatever. Yeah. Um, but the exposure is the thing I think that, that matters to, to us as teachers to prevent us from being dogmatic. Because I want to be able to explain something to a student in three or four or five different ways. Mm-hmm. I don't want it to be one way or only one way, you know, mm-hmm. and then not knowing and saying, I don't know. And, or I'm in doubt about that. I, I'll have to look that up. Right, right. Yeah, I, I've also uh, to pile on that is the uh, when you're searching for solutions in a lesson, for example, for a student for some particular issue, and once in a while I'll I'll go down a wrong path. Mm-hmm. I'll say, okay, no more of that exercise. That was that that doesn't seem to be serving us here, even though. It's one of my go-tos. Mm-hmm. I think every 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 exercise that I have found to be generally wonderfully beneficial has not worked with some person at least some of the time. And you can't tell the student, "Oh, this works for everybody else," or you'll <laughs> right. be you'll be able to do that in a month or two. Just keep working at it. Oof. I mean, you know, you 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 voice more than anything else um, in music. Uh, the, the individuality of it mm-hmm. and the whole Cornelius Reed thing of we never know exactly what the potential is until it is unlocked. And yes, and most voices are never completely 100 percent potentialized. So that's a fascinating thing there is that, yeah. you know, you, you, if you think you have the key to perfection, you Ooh. probably don't know what perfection is. And also, I think we should take it away from ourselves as teachers, that responsibility, because really it's ultimately the student's job to, to amalgamate and to find their own voice. We are merely the assistants of that process, yeah. Yeah. but at the, on, the onus is on the student at the end yeah. of the day. Yeah. It truly is. I mean, it's mm-hmm. like I can teach you all the ins and the outs and the ups and the downs, but you are the person who has to put on your shoes and go up mm-hmm. the mountain. Mm-hmm. You ultimately have to do the work. Yeah, um, you have to do the work. You have to explore. You have to. You have to 
the self. Well, that's isn't that truly the, the the point of education is to make a person their own teacher? Yeah, that a person can teach themselves. I mean, yeah. obviously singing we can't, but to that off off the bat. But my gosh, that should be the end of the got you know the road where we just get checkups once in a while from a, a good teacher. But we shouldn't need a teacher you know all the time once we are mm-hmm. well equipped technically to do what we need to do. Yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, that's. That's a lot of pressure on a teacher. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, solve yeah. everything, solve all my problems. I always find that the students I have most uh, fun with are those who go off and experiment in between lessons. Oh, yeah. You know, the ones who will go off and be curious and yeah. will try and do. And I say, well, I tried this. What do you think about that? Or what do you think? I'm like, oh, that's great. Let's try this over here. What about this? You know? I don't even um, mind if they go down the YouTube rabbit holes. No, me neither. when they start to do that, it makes for terrific discussions. And Absolutely. it really sh- shows that they're, they're working on their learning and it's yes. great. Yes. And, um, and it gives me the opportunity to say, okay, if you're going to do that, here's some I like, you know. Mm-hmm. You know, like as, as an example, like one of my go-tos about someone who comes from a very different uh, place and genre and everything. But I, I love his videos, Mark Baxter. Oh, he's awesome. Yeah, yeah, and I say, you know, you'll get tidbits from the, from him that that mm-hmm. are just terrific, and and not just two or three. You will get dozens yes, <laughs> if yes. you watch him over the years. <laughs> well, I mean, that's a truly great teacher who has un, who understands. Well, talk about no dogma because yes. he he teaches the same things many 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 ways. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's not one way and that's it, and mm-hmm. it's my way or the highway kind of situation. Yeah. Yeah. So I, yeah, I, I, I've always admired those, those kinds of teachers. Oh, I'd love um, to get him on the show. Well, just say his name and like, I hear he'll just come on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm sure he'd come on. He's very cool. You know, he's a cool cat. He's a, he's here in Berkeley actually. Uh, he teaches at Berkeley. I thought he was in your area. Yeah. Yeah. He's up in here in Boston. Yeah. He's okay. awesome. I've sent him, I've sent him a fan letter, letter once. I think yeah. and I said, you know, I'm, I think you're great. I think you're swell. Yeah. Neat. So I just really, I, his actually, his pedagogy book, his uh, rock and roll singer survival guide. Oh. Uh, was one of our pedagogy texts in undergraduate alongside Richard Miller's structure of singing. <laughs> oh, so we awesome. had structure of singing and Mark Baxter's book. Those were our two comparative text, uh, pedagogy texts. Wow. So isn't that fun? And yeah. we love Mark's stuff. We just thought he was great. And his book, uh, if you've ever purchased the in-print version, it has an animated um, person breathing in the margin. So there's like an – like if you flip the book, you know, it's oh, like who, you who get, would think they, to put an animation in a book? Like, <laughs> it's, the, it's just that's, so cute. That's so I love Victorian. It. Yeah. It's very fun. It's very fun. But, yeah, no, it, exactly. And I, I find those teachers online that are um, – le- uh, it's hard because, you know, you, they're trying to sell something, aren't they? You know, mm-hmm, they're really trying mm-hmm. to sell themselves or their methods or, you know, their ideas. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it's hard to find sort of um, the Walter – we need a Walter Cronkite of pedagogy, <laughs> well, right? Someone who can just report the news and say, here's the news. Take yeah. it how you want to take it. We're not going to put any spin on it. But can but you sell that? Is. That's the problem. I mean, yeah. independent voice teachers especially – Yes. I mean, you know, we're told told the market and brand and market and brand and yeah. and and um, you know, having your trademark method seems to help and having your yes. you know, your books and workshops and and uh, you know, blogs and all that stuff. Oh, sure. I don't know, man. It's uh I've always tried to come at my own work in my blog and my things as a service. That's what I always wanted mm-hmm. when I started my blog. I never wanted it to be about, you know, 
me showing everyone how great I was. What I wanted to show was how great everyone else was. Mm-hmm. I wanted to show how great other teachers were of the past and how mm-hmm. brilliant they were and how wonderfully bright and articulate and and intelligent they were uh, and to share sort of what I was discovering along the way of my own education with other people. So my blog was always sort of a, a study guide for what I was reading and what mm-hmm. I was looking mm-hmm. at. And so yeah. I thought if I ever found a good passage about something, I'd always extrapolate that and say, oh, this is so good. You got, I have to share this. Yeah. It's like a recipe, right? Yeah, it's I, like if you I find a great recipe. I that. Yeah. You know, it was never, but it was never to be about I'm awesome, you know, because that's not my, that's never been me. I, you know, maybe that's to my detriment, but I've never been a person who wants to be the, the solo act. I've always felt yeah. like I, I enjoy being part of a tradition of educators yeah. um, and, and feeling connected to what they're doing and, mm-hmm. and learning from them and appreciating their work. Because as I've often said, you know, a person cannot make a contribution in any other, in any other field without knowing the literature of that field. In my opinion, you cannot become a mathematician if you are ignorant of the mathematical theories of the past. Yeah. You cannot be a scientist if you do not understand the scientific literature of your past. So it's funny that a voice teacher would think that they could create from whole cloth something completely brand new that has never been codified or understood by any any human mind in the 500, 600 years of pedagogical uh, history that we have here in, in written form. Yeah. So um, I'm always, you know, I was always look like I've always been a person who's very intrigued and interested in where ideas come from, as you well know. Oh, um, yeah. You know, where does this come from? How did somebody else think of where who, who else thought of this? Yeah. You know, who's that? And not, and not as we know, in an a- attribution sense. I'm not going around trying to slap attributions on everybody and say, that belongs to Manuel Garcia. You know, I don't mm-hmm. want to be that person because mm-hmm. that person doesn't get invited to very many fun parties. And I really like to party. So, <laughs> so you know, I, but I'm always interested in human thought when it comes to pedagogy and where ideas come from. And maybe that's one of the reasons why I've been so... Um, resistant to dogma because it like i said it's a closed system it doesn't allow for the questioning yeah of of an idea or something uh and people get very uncomfortable when you question because it's a sociocentric thing and to question mm-hmm. the dogma is to question the group and the group doesn't like to get questioned and so that's always something that i've struggled with as an individual as a person who believes in individualism yeah rather than collectivism well back when i was when i was roaming the jungles of facebook um the thing that used to happen in the groups was that in the large groups around voice mm-hmm. was that certain <clears throat> people would be designated as the experts. You know, they were the generally understood experts mm-hmm. and uh, those experts weren't necessarily preaching dogma. Not at all. Uh, but the way people mm. would pile yes. on to the non-experts you know, who are you? Who are right. you to say? So so certain people had a right to speak and certain ones didn't. Mm-hmm. And I can think, I don't want to get into naming names here, even of the to. good ones, because then by omission, blah, 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 blah. Right, 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 right. But, but there were there's some very uh, uh, kind and well-mannered people who are not jerks who would mm-hmm. be in those groups answering questions and stuff. And they never wanted their words to be taken as dogma. Yes. And there were others where eh, it's probably okay if you do, because it helps their brand or whatever, you know, that right. you, you would see these different patterns emerge in, in how people 
uh, took the stage as being considered one of the revered experts mm-hmm. versus uh, uh, people who challenge things versus people who, uh, oh, what do you call someone? Pander or the, the people sycophants? who come. Sycophants. Yeah. That was exactly yeah. the word. Yeah. You can tell, you know, all the, the suck ups um, <laughs> to, you know, to the experts and they'll yeah. lavish, you know, like one of these experts will say something like the sky is blue and someone will say, oh, that's so deep and beautiful. <laughs> And it's like, right? Yeah, but and right. if someone else says, "Oh, what a nice day," and it's like, "What the hell do you mean?" You know, <laughs> right. I mean, <laughs> right, right. Well, I think what you're describing again is sociocentrism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's this in-group, out-group thinking. These that, things form even yes. in nameless online groups. Yes. That I mean, it's amazing. And dogpiling is the new thing, Brian. I mean, this is the new. This is the new online custom. Dogma now. piling. <laughs> yeah, well, do- <laughs> hashtag dogma piling. Um, yeah. yeah, no, but really, this you know, we're gonna jump on someone and we're just gonna pile mm-hmm. on top of them. And well, isn't that sh- what cancel means now? You know, yes. that's that's yes. the whole cancel right uh, phenomenon. Oh yes. Uh, you know, you you dogpile on whoever's been designated enemy. Right, or who was who doesn't say the dogma in the right way. Mm-hmm. You know, I have many strong feelings about that, which we'll probably go into at some point. But yes, we will. <laughs> we will you know, um, yeah, I think you know. Right these... before we're banished from certain lists. Well, but, I yeah. mean, I think when what you know, when everyone <laughs> is thinking the same thing, no one is doing much thinking. Yeah. You know, when everybody yeah. is thinking the same thing, there's not really any thinking going on. Right. Really. Right. There's no thinking going on. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> you know, that's always my 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 biggest fear in our in our world of pedagogy is a monoculture. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And some people would love to be that in a monoculture because for them, they would like to place themselves in positions of power in the monoculture so that they could be the people that were, you know, sort of pulling the strings. Right. When I was looking through our show ideas list earlier today, thinking about, you know, future podcast episodes, uh, <laughs> kind of relates to the thing about, um, terminology and words we choose for example mm-hmm. and of course that gets into the whole thing i mean of of uh you know th- what are considered the in and out discourses right certain ways of talking about this thing and, and so, right. yeah and and uh um you know jesus we we, we really gotta <laughs> we gotta be careful of closing down diversity of thought because progress will not be made you know well and to sort of put a pin on that when you control how people speak you control how people think yeah and that is anathema to a free interchange and a free marketplace of ideas yeah yeah you know we need what we would what we should want and strive for are brilliant people in our field who will be the thought leaders who are individuals in their own way who are creating and coming up with new models of voice education and voice training to be of a benefit to us as teachers not that we all comply with one particular word or and i and that's why i never hope we do i mean i hope in an artistic field like voice training we can we can try to you know, walk the line of scientific language and artistic language because mm-hmm. singing is an artistic act. And so we need to have access to creative words in order to tell uh, and teach. Um, and when things become too rigidified in terms of language, we lose access to being able to think in different ways. 
know, yeah. I was listening to it. Mary Saunders, Saunders Barton was talking about how she doesn't. She said, "I never use imagery words in my teaching." And then her students said, "No, yes, you do. Yes, you do." So then she was like, "Oh my gosh, I do!" And then she said, "I got. I had to start writing down all the times I was talking about imagery in my voice studio." So you know, there's an avenue of exploration that's absolutely creative. The world, the world of imagery, is a creative place oh, yeah. to live in totally. teaching. Um, and so, you know, again, it's a, it's a balancing act. So, mm-hmm. whew, I think, <laughs> I think we covered the bases, Brian. I think yeah. we did it. Yeah. Is there anything you wanted to add about dogma or? No, I think. I, uh... <laughs> Don't be dogmatic. Well, what, what, I mean, what's the we... cure for dogma? Curiosity, <laughs> doubt. Those are the, those are the, you know, skepticism. Yeah. Those are the cures for dogmatism. Yeah. In our present day well, my, and age. my greatest teachers of all these instruments I've studied, you know, that all of them have ha- the the really good ones have had this attitude of, God, I don't know everything, and mm. and and here's here's what I'm here's what I'm exploring now, and when they help you explore stuff that they already know, they keep that open attitude. Yes. Yes. You know, yes. Um, and I and I love those. Two. You know, I think Mary Saunders Barton is a great example of that. I mean, I just have so much admiration for her and how she works. I've and, I've watched her in person too. Just it's fabulous. absolutely yeah. inspiring teaching, inspired yep. teaching to me. You yep. know, uh, and so, um, and I think she's so open. She's so open uh, to the world we live in. And I just yeah. that's the, when I think about people that I want to be like, I always think, oh, Mary Saunders Barton is a great role model for me. Yeah, just because of how she is and, and how I've seen her. So. You know? There we so go. There. We mentioned a name or two. After yeah, we got all. We, we we did some name dropping today. Yeah, but yeah. We, we we those are all in love. Those are all names dropped with love. Yeah. <laughs> I just want to say one more point on this. Yep. I want to, and I'll invoke one more name from the past. Yeah, yep. Cornelius Reed. Um, some of the complaints I had when I was learning a lot about him and working with a disciple of his was, um, you know, the Cornelius's books and stuff have certain principles and ideas about how to teach, but it's like, well, how do you implement it in the studio? How do you, how do you do it as a teacher? What is the, cause he, he, he was strong on general principles. He was trying to find fairly universal principles, but he wasn't really telling you beyond a certain bare bone skeleton, how to do it as a teacher. And I think the, the, the work of figuring out how to do it as a teacher is incredibly valuable. And I realize that like if he had laid it all out, people would have taken it as dogma. Right. It would have been another method. Yeah. And he never wanted to do a method. No. And I think you're right. His work is very vexing because there is no application as, as such. Yeah. I mean, there's a little, but it's really up to the intelligence of the person doing it. And I think even, you know, according to his wife, uh, Donna, that's one of the things that she said too. He he never wanted to create mini reads. He wanted people to have their. He wanted the work to be there, and let everyone's in, individualism and an idiosyncratic way of working find its own path through those functional principles, which is what he was always about. He kept talking about principles, principles, principles all mm-hmm. the time. Funny again, story about that. He yeah. had he had a, a student who was a fairly famous opera singer, who when this person retired was hired by a major school of music to teach voice. And I had a, a teacher who was trained by Reed who said, um, you know, giving that teacher the Reed principles and turning them loose in a voice studio was like giving a chainsaw to a baby. 
<laughs> you can't handle the truth. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot. You know, because the truth is not a monolithic thing. You get to just pass on. You, you wish it was, but it, there, it it's frayed around the edges and it's subject to. Messy. Yeah, it's messy. It's messy. It's messy. You know why? Because yeah. we're messy, Brian. Oh. As humans, we're yep. messy. Yep. So, you know, anything in that, any dogma is, is really a, an overt egotism, egotistical way to try to gain control of chaos. Mic drop, I think. Let's let's end it there, man. Beautiful. There you go. Boom. Okay. Dogma. Thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe and check us out at thevoiceculture.com. Bye for now.